You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. I am so excited because in today's episode, we have our first special guest. And this guest is especially special as our first, as she is my second in command, my assistant, Katie. We're sitting down to have a conversation about what it's like to have a more non-traditional career path. She's had a handful of different roles from nannying to corporate America before ending up here at my kitchen table with us today. So welcome. Welcome, Katie. Thank you. (laughs) So first, why don't we start off by give us the backstory of you. Maybe what you thought you were going to do when you were a kid to what you went to school for and kind of the different career steps you took since graduating college to get to where you are now. Um, Okay, so from day one, as far as back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a teacher. Um... As a kid, my cousin and I spent our days playing school. My grandmother even would take us to the teacher resource store and buy, (laughs) like, teacher supplies and stuff so we could set up a mock classroom. So it's what I wanted to do. I was like, whenever people would ask me, they'd be like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'd be like, I want to be a mom and a teacher. Yes. (laughs) So throughout high school, I took as many electives as I could that pertained to education would help further that down the road so I took like child development classes psychology classes and obviously that did not end up being where I am (laughs) (laughs) so I went to took child development classes we had a preschool in the high school that we actually got to be involved in and do lesson plans and actually interact with kids which was really awesome And then after I graduated, I went to community college where I enrolled as an elementary education major. I took like two education classes and I remember just one day sitting in my education 101 class and thinking, this doesn't feel right. Mm. Like something about it just wasn't settling. There's so much bureaucracy in the education system and so much where you're, you're restricted. And I was like, wait, (laughs) that doesn't sound fun. (laughs) Um, so I kind of rethought my career path and what I wanted to do. So freshman year, fall semester, I also took a history class, just your basic gen ed history class. And my professor had mentioned that she studied anthropology and the way that she taught this history class was like, no other history class I've had before. And I'm very passionate about history. I grew up (laughs) watching History Channel and Discovery Channel and all that with my dad. So it was always a passion and always, you know, not a hobby, but something I just love to read on. Yeah. And the way that she taught her classes was less of that, like, oh, in 1876, this happened. And these are the reasons why it happened. And then this happened. It was more she delved into how people lived, uh, why they did the things they did, and more of that perspective behind why things happened 
in the past. And so one day I went up to her and I was like, tell me about anthropology because it sounds really awesome and I want to know more. So she and I talked for a little while and I immediately went home, started researching anthropology, everything I could and decided, wow, okay, this sounds like me. Like it encompassed everything that I was interested in. And there was still that option of going down that teaching path if I wanted to. So it combined history, psychology, sociology, um, and fashion because I love historical fashion. (laughs) So it was just that perfect meld of everything that I was interested in and it just felt right. So I switched my major and started taking anthropology classes and then I wound up transferring to Montclair State University because they were one of two schools in the state that had anthropology as the actual major. Most schools either make you take sociology and then minor in anthropology. Mm. But I was like, no, I I just (laughs) want to study anthropology. So I went to Montclair State and studied that for three years. I majored in anthropology, minored in archaeology, as well as classics, and loved every minute of it. It was so cool. It was such great information. And it was just presented in such a way that just really made you think and made you think outside of the box and outside of you as an individual person. And then it wasn't until my senior year, fall semester, I got a reality check Mm -hmm. because finally, you know, in my applied anthropology class, the professor was like, yeah, job market's not that great for anthropologists, Mm. despite what it says on the internet and where you can work. He was like, it's really, that's not the reality of it. Because at that point, were you thinking still, okay, I'm going to be a teacher and anthropology is more just what I'm most interested in and I could be a teacher with it, so it'll work? Or had your career, had your kind of what you wanted to do shifted at all where you were thinking, okay, I want to be an anthropologist or there's a different sort of final destination with that? Yeah, I, it had shifted. I wanted to be an anthropologist I minored, minored in archaeology, so the interest was definitely there. But I just, teacher was always on the back burner. Mm-hmm. Things fell through. But my end-all, be-all goal as an anthropologist was to be a professor. I wanted to teach at that higher level, um, theoretical nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I knew that the path after college was going to be master's and then doctorate. But the reality of the job market, like my professor was telling us, was it was still fairly new in universities and colleges. Like I said, there was only two schools in the state of New Jersey that had it as a major. So he was like, the professors aren't retiring. Like, no one's really leaving. And he was like, so you're either just going to be doing grant-based research the rest of your life, or you're going to move out west to find a professor ship um because most of the jobs were out on the west coast i'm terrified of natural disasters so (laughs) i was like earthquakes no thanks (laughs) um so yeah it was just kind of that reality slap where it was also a little too late in my schooling to be like okay let's shift Mm -hmm. because it was the end of my fall semester senior year and i wanted to graduate on time so i was like oh crap (laughs) what do i do now And the master's program, most schools don't even offer a master's in anthropology. They're just because you can't really do anything with a master's in anthro. So you immediately go for a doctorate, which most of the programs are like, 
seven, eight-year programs. Mm. And at that point, I was so burnt out with school that I was like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do another eight years of this. Like, I love it, but it was just so much. So there was a lot of perspective shift there and that harsh reality check of adulthood and the job market. Mm-hmm. So then after graduation, then walk us through kind of your steps, because I know corporate America's in your story and you kind mm-hmm. of had a couple of different jobs before ending up here with me. So walk us through kind of those shifts and kind of what your mindset was as you went through each of them, since you have kind of a diverse diverse resume. If you yes, will. <laughs> definitely diverse. Um, so after graduation, I was actually lucky enough to graduate with a job. It wasn't a full-time position. I was working two part-time positions. When I was in college, I had worked for um, the Disney International College Program as an quote-unquote ambassador, but I was really like chaperone. So <laughs> <laughs> I had done that the three years that I was in Montclair Loved it. Loved working with the students. We'd have Chinese foreign exchange students come in um, for two weeks, hang out in Montclair, take them to New York City, um, and then they would go to Disney for a six-month internship. So they were living the dream life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like a month or two before I graduated, they a position opened up for the program coordinator. And it was a part-time position, but you needed a degree. So I was like, what the heck? I might as well. I already have an in. I know they love me. (laughs) So I was lucky enough to get that job. And I was also working part-time as a front desk, like secretary, greeter kind of person at a local gym in Montclair. So two part-time jobs, equated a little over 40 hours a week. It was great, but nobody really took it seriously, despite the fact that in my job with Montclair through the Disney program, I was fully planning an itinerary for over 100 Chinese students, dealing with the visa process for those students so they could come to America, (laughs) enrolling them in health insurance, booking Broadway tickets for mass groups, buses, coordinating the schedule, all of that. It really wasn't taken seriously. And on top of doing that, because the students only came twice a year, I was also working with the director of international services on immigration paperwork for the professors that worked at Montclair. So then I had to learn immigration law on top of all of that (laughs) and basically become a paralegal with no formal (laughs) training whatsoever. So it was very frustrating that, you know, there were some people in my life who didn't view it as an actual job because it was part time. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I like, <laughs> like what? all everything I'm doing. <laughs> I do so much. Um, and then I had gotten promoted at the gym to supervisor. So I was managing a team of about eight to ten people at the gym, coordinating schedules and hiring and interviewing and all of that, and managing some of their social media, their marketing, all that. So I'm like sitting there and I'm like, I'm working over forty hours a week, two jobs, and they're like. I'm doing important stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not being taken seriously. And I'm getting outside pressure of, you need to get a full-time job. You need to get a real full-time job. Mm. And I don't think the term real job exists. <laughs> <laughs> Especially, I've definitely learned that in my career journey. It, there's no quote-unquote real job. 
Well, I mean, especially in today's day and age, because with what you and I both do as our jobs now, Mm -hmm. it didn't exist in something like a pamphlet back in the day in college. Like when we were in college. for blogger. Of course. Like (laughs) we're doing things as very much our jobs today that literally didn't exist when we were going to school Mm -hmm. for a job. So it's such a crazy job market how it is now and there's just it's so much is constantly evolving and there's so much that you can kind of create as you go if you Mm -hmm. have the skill sets to do that and the willingness to do that because obviously it takes a lot of chutzpah to (laughs) dive into something but I mean talk to us a little bit I guess about this the naysay that you got and where that came in along your journey because I know from what we've talked about before it's it's in your journey in a couple of different places, and I'm sure that that's yeah. something that listeners might have also experienced when you have people who around the Thanksgiving table say, oh, but that's not a real job, mm-hmm, or but what are you mm-hmm. really going to do? Yep. And it can really put a damper on things and not necessarily be the most helpful. So walk us through that sort of journey and how you knew where to draw the line between something that might be constructive criticism or a realistic kick in the pants and perspective shift like what you got when you were in college doing your major Mm -hmm. versus when it was something where you were kind of like, hey, not the most helpful in one ear out the other. I am very much, I don't want to say I don't like to listen to others, but I've always been very independent and my mom can definitely back this up because I know it frustrates her because I'm just as stubborn (laughs) as she is. Um, But I've always been that kind of person where if someone tells me like, you know, or doubts me and thinks like, oh, I don't think you can do that. I'm just like, mm, yeah, I can. <laughs> Watch me. <laughs> like, and I will. Um, or if I'm like, oh, I want X, Y, Z, they're like, oh, I don't think that's very realistic. And I'm a very realistic person. Mm-hmm. But like, if I want something and I know I can get it, um, I don't need to listen to anybody else. Um, so the naysayers, it was usually just kind of you know, those little little comments here and there that would be like, oh, like, when are you going to get a full-time job? Like, are you looking for another job? It really did get to me because Paul and I had just moved out. Like, we moved out right after college into an apartment together. And so, obviously, there was that newfound stress of, like, rent and <laughs> bills. And then my student loans kicked in Ooh. and I had to start repaying those back. So, there was all that pressure of, like, super adult stuff more than I had dealt with before so obviously I'm like oh maybe I should get a full-time job like maybe it's more stable maybe maybe that's the right thing to do but it it did get to me and I think it was just because I was feeling insecure Mm. in what I was doing it wasn't necessarily everybody else it was like my own personal feelings so I was just uncertain because like you're 22 you're out of college you're like I have no idea what I'm doing Mm -hmm. and like so afraid to make a mistake because it could come and kick you in the butt 30 years down the line. So negative feedback kind of got to me, although I don't think anyone was doing it maliciously. I think Mm -hmm. they were just, it was that like they're trying to support you, but it's not really what you want or need to hear. Right. And so eventually I started resenting my jobs and feeling like I was less than that I wasn't succeeding, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't doing what I went to school for. So, yeah, it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) And I tried really hard to just one in one year out the other, but when you're constantly hearing it and you're hearing the same thing and, you know, and that societal view is telling you that what you're doing isn't 
what adults do or what the norm is, or you're seeing people who are younger than you succeeding, making millions of dollars, you're like, what am I doing with my life? Like, I'm <laughs> wasting my time. So then I, I was like obsessively trying to search for a job. I even tried to dabble into the blogging realm because that was starting to like really blow up. And I was like, hey, I can make money like this. <laughs> but with all that self-doubt, I felt like I didn't have anything worth sharing or that mm. I wasn't good enough or I wasn't like Erica coming up versus. <laughs> so, so obviously I wasn't going to succeed. So why am I going to waste my time doing this? Got myself into depression. You know, I already dealt with depression, anxiety, but I was just like spiraling. And there are things that were going on that summer too that just you know, I was in a bad place. Not the worst place, but I wasn't in a good place. Mm -hmm. So then I tried to see what my other options were. I decided, you know, I always had teaching on the back burner. Let me try and pursue that because I thought it would be easy. (laughs) 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 Joke's on me. (laughs) Um, Props to teachers. (laughs) Yeah, seriously. So I wound up applying for my substitute certificate so I could start getting myself into schools and you know because getting a job in a school system you really do need to know somebody I worked towards that while I worked on getting my teacher certification through the alternate route process which was a lot of work I had to I wound up having to take an extra college course because I didn't take an American history course in college Oof. and I needed that which was like a nice $500 down the drain <laughs> and like Sitting in a gen ed summer college class when you're 23 years old now, you're like, not so much cooler than everybody. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, did that. I wound up quitting the Disney program because we had been trying to petition the school to like make it a full time position because it really should have been. But they, they were like, no, no, we don't have the budget for it. We're not making it full time. We see no need for it. And the program was kind of dwindling down, like numbers were getting lower each and each time that we had students coming through. Disney was competing with itself. (laughs) I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave this job. I'll keep the gym job because my hours are way more flexible there. And then I can substitute teach and get my certification. Got my certification. Everybody was so supportive because they're like, yes, like you're going to make the best teacher. Like you just have that teacher voice. Like you're just so nice and sweet and patient. <laughs> you're going to be such a great teacher. Um, got my teacher certification, started to look for a teaching position, which when you go through alternate route, the biggest thing you miss out on is obviously four years of learning how to be a teacher. <laughs> um, a bit critical. <laughs> just a little bit, you know, no big deal. Um But you also miss out on that student teaching experience, Mm. which schools really rely on when they're hiring you. Because even if I was a substitute teacher, I'm not sitting there creating lesson plans and creating, you know, a good classroom management style or anything like that. There's really no consistency when you're a substitute. You're usually in one classroom and then another classroom the next day. So it's very challenging to try and get a teaching position through alternate route. But it happens and you can do it. (laughs) Um, But most of the teaching jobs are found within the lower income districts. So more of like your inner city districts, which is a challenge within itself. Mm -hmm. Here you are, new teacher. You have a a certification. You have the (laughs) credentials. But, you know, you haven't had real 
lesson planning experience, sitting with kids for a long period of time where you have to like maintain a classroom management style and create a culture for your classroom. So <laughs> when you don't have that experience, it literally feels like you're being thrown under the bus completely 100%, mm-hmm. which is really scary because children are intimidating (laughs) a little bit (laughs) just a little bit especially when you have like 25 of them in a classroom they're all staring at you (laughs) um and I was the job that I got in was in you know a lower income school district and they were high school kids too so here I am like 23 24 these kids are only like a couple years younger than me like why are they gonna take me seriously yeah I'm like oh they can smell my fear um (laughs) So I got in that position, which was so welcome because there was so much stress on me and stress that I was also putting on myself to get a full-time job. You know, I had invested a ton of money going alternate route. So there was stress on keeping the job, being successful at the job, and, you know, trying to be happy. Um, Because I knew if I didn't keep this job, Paul and I weren't going to be able to move forward in our relationship. We were living in an apartment. I was like, I want to get married. Like, let's get married. We wanted to buy a house. And obviously, you need money to do all of those things. So that job was so crucial. And when I finally got it, I was like, oh, my gosh. I feel all the weight coming off my shoulders. Like, I'm here. I finally got a full-time job. It's something that everyone's going to approve of mm. because I'm a teacher. And then everything crashed <laughs> and burned <laughs> into a giant plume of smoke. Um, because I was not happy Mm. at all. I, the culmination of everything and working up to that, I had like a complete mental breakdown. Like it was the lowest low I've ever experienced. And what sort of triggered that, if you don't mind sharing? Um, I think again, just like everything that was built on me keeping this job, Mm. all the work that I put in, all the money and you know, the prospect of, okay, now my relationship can move forward and we can step into engagement and marriage and buying a house. I just saw all of that just blow up in my face when I was like, wait, I'm not, I'm not okay here, like at all. It sounds like you had all of the pressure on the title and kind of not the actual job itself, but the idea of it. It's like what happens all the time when Mm -hmm women or men get into a relationship for the sake of having kind of like their checklist of this Mm -hmm. is everything I want and forget to actually analyze the actual relationship that they're in and they're just looking for they've got the picture already framed in their living room and they just want the face to put on the right person it's Mm -hmm. like you're finding you're falling in love with the idea of something instead of what you're actually in I think you're totally not alone in that and I'm sure a lot Mm -hmm. of people have struggled with that where you're just kind of You're going for the idea, you're checking off a box, and you're forgetting to kind of check in with yourself along the way of, okay, is this right? Is this, what are the specifics here that I like versus don't like? And is this truly right for me? Or is this what everybody else thinks or wants to be right Mm -hmm. for me? So that's definitely, I mean, I was, I was definitely trying to stuff myself into that box as much as possible. Cause I was like, this has to be the answer to everything. Like if I just do this one thing, everything is going to work out and everything's going to go the way that I had it planned, which <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell God you have a plan. Yeah. You know what he does. <laughs> so 
yeah, it was it was definitely a struggle and I really felt like I had lost myself. I had lost all confidence, you know, like I was no longer like, yeah, I'm just going to do it and it's going to be great. Like I was like, well, I I don't know. Like I got I got small. Mm. And it just was not a fun time. <laughs> it wouldn't be. No. <laughs> so, it took me it took me a while to bounce back from that, you know, cuz it was like a legit mental break. And how did your family react to that point? Like, did they see you hit this low? Did Paul see you hit this low and recognize at that point, hey, maybe this isn't the right path for her? Or how did they kind of approach you being in this darker place now where you were realizing, look, this isn't this isn't right for me? Mm-hmm. Well, for perspective, I worked at the school for a week. <laughs> a week. <laughs> so everything went downhill very, very fast. I think my parents definitely saw it. My mom definitely. My mom has always been, you know, my champion and my go-to person for all things like depression and anxiety because she deals with it herself. She's always been that person that I can go to and literally say anything to and she just gets it and helps me work through it. Paul Paul could see it, but I also think he was just trying to stuff our relationship in a box as well. No hard feelings towards him at all. <laughs> They're happily married now. <laughs> we, we are married and we're happy and everything's great. But I think he was just so desperate for things to be normal, mm. you know, and for me to have that job and not be struggling anymore and, you know, our finances would be better because we wouldn't necessarily be living off one income and we could move forward in our relationship and his family would leave him alone about my job situation. He, Paul could see it, but I think he was just in denial of the things that he wanted, which again, like nothing, nothing bad towards him. We were both doing the same thing. He was really trying to encourage. He was like, just just get through the week. Like, it's just going to be a really hard week. You can do it. Like, I have faith in you. But I, like, there was one night I came out of the shower after school, and he thought he was going to have to take me to the hospital because I could not breathe. Like, I was freaking out so bad I could not breathe. I get. I think he was starting to see the physical symptoms. Um, I was throwing up every morning. The only thing I could keep down was a banana and coffee. Mm. And during the end I of the week, oh, yeah, it was oh. great. <laughs> um, by the end of the week, I couldn't even keep the banana down mm. and barely the coffee. I was dry heaving so bad that I was pulling muscles in my rib cage. Like, I was in pain. Wow. And I had lost about 10 pounds in a week because I couldn't eat. Do not recommend that as a diet. But, <laughs> but yeah, I, I lost 10 pounds in a week. Wow. His family, Paul's family didn't really know anything that was going on. And the day that I decided that, you know, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm going to wind up in the hospital if this keep continues. Like, I don't see it getting better. So it was actually, we're almost on two years of when this happened. Because this was like Columbus Day weekend. And I called the school the one morning. Paul was already at work. I called the school. I was like, I'm not coming in. Like, I just really don't feel good. And I packed a bag, left Paul a note, and went to my parents' house. Because mm-hmm. I was just so, I was like, I don't like disappointing people. I don't think anybody really enjoys that feeling of knowing that you may be a disappointment to somebody, especially someone you love. So I was so nervous about what his reaction was going to be, which obviously attributed to more of the anxiety and everything. And I went home because I knew my parents would understand. I knew they would have my back and take care of me if I needed them to take care of me, which they did. <laughs> My dad and I watched, like, Avenger movies the entire <laughs> week. Um, 
so yeah, I, I ran away from the situation because I didn't know how to handle it. And obviously Paul was very upset. He thought I was leaving him. And I was like, no, like I just, I just need to be out of the situation because I know I'm disappointing you and I can't, I can't handle that. It was more difficult to explain to his family what had happened. They're very much of the very traditional sense. Um, so that was another huge stressor of like, what are they going to think? What are they going to say? You know, I didn't want them to think that I was lazy or anything like that. But obviously I had to explain why I no longer had a job. <laughs> so we explained something along the lines of, you know, I just couldn't do it. Like it just wasn't, I didn't feel safe. Like it just was not a good situation. Instead of going all through the details of like, Katie had a mental breakdown and, <laughs> you know, things were, here's all about it. Um, because they don't really, they don't really comprehend things along those lines, like mental health issues. Sure. So it would be hard to explain the real reasons of what happened and why. So then what next? Where did you go from there? And how did you get yourself out of the dark mental place that you were in because of it, because I'm sure you also at that point probably had so much self doubt mm -hmm. and it was, I mean, did you feel like you were disappointing yourself at all too, since you had gotten oh, 100%. You had so much on that job? I am very much like overachiever status. Mm -hmm. Like, so <laughs> the fact that I didn't succeed and it wasn't anybody else's fault except for my own was really harsh reality to deal with. Um, and granted, I mean, dealing with mental health issues like that there's only so much you can do right. so I was in that dark place for a while I really really doubted myself for a long time I had tried to get back into teaching but of course I was like oh my gosh like what happens if this happens again mm -hmm. what am I gonna do uh so I started substitute teaching in one school district loved that school district wanted a full-time job there but that didn't happen um, so after that, it was kind of like, well, <laughs> where do I go from here? Because teaching is obviously not it for me. So at this point, I was nannying for Paul's little cousins, which was, I love kids. So I was happy. I was like, this is great. <laughs> but it obviously wasn't a livable income. I had student loans that were amounting to almost $1,000 a month. Like, <laughs> that money wasn't cutting it. I was just applying and applying and applying to places so much so that I was just like, did I already apply to this place? <laughs> like I couldn't even remember who I was applying to. Mm -hmm. And just trying to find anything, because obviously anything in the anthropology field wasn't up for grabs because I only had a bachelor's. I eventually, after Paul and I got engaged, I caved in, because I also had this mentality that, I, well, I went to college, so I deserve a full-time job that pays mm -hmm. well. So I had to humble myself a little bit and I wound up just looking for anything that I could get, even if it meant that I was working at McDonald's, which there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but so I wound up actually going back and working for the retail store that I had started in when I was 16. So I was working. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I was working for Full a children's. Circle. Yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, I was working for a children's clothing store. I lucked out because I applied for a part-time position. And as soon as I walked in, they're like, do you want to apply for the assistant store manager position? It's full-time benefits. And I was like, 
sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> Sounds great. Why not? So I wound up getting that, and I loved everything I did there. Wasn't too thrilled with the management team that I worked with. We butt heads a little bit, but loved everything I did. It was so fast-paced, like nothing was the same, but still routine enough where I was happy. Um, Did that for, I want to say three months. I just was like, I can't do retail hours anymore. I was like, I need more of that structured Monday through Friday, nine to five kind of job. So I started applying to those types of positions, praying that something would come along because Christmas season was coming up and our store was open until 11 p.m. And I was like, "Mm -mm, not about that life. (laughs) So I wound up getting a job with a big corporation and I was like, corporate America, here I come. <laughs> Business suits and everything, here I come. Um, that was not the reality of it. Uh, <laughs> I basically accepted a position that I was overqualified for. But in a big corporation like that, it's kind of like you take whatever you can get because mm-hmm. it's a stepping stone into that company and into wherever you want to go. And that's how the job was explained to me. They're like, this is just a stepping stone position. Like, people don't stay in this position for longer than, like, a year. I was like, well, that sounds great. So, because I'm getting married in, like, a year. And I need more money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I worked that. It was really interesting to see inside the corporate zone. Because, obviously, I'd worked retail, but I was in the store I wasn't behind the scenes and how do you think your both your mindset and people who you were dealing with in your everyday life how do you think their perception changed at all if it did when you were hopping from you went from teaching to retail and then from retail to corporate America Mm -hmm. what was kind of the reaction of people and then how was your mindset kind of shifting throughout each of those Well, my retail position, despite the fact that it being full-time with benefits and me assisting in running the store, also really wasn't taken seriously, which was frustrating because I'm like, I'm working over 50 hours a week now, busting my butt, (laughs) and running a store successfully, and I'm not getting, not, not appreciated, but not getting the respect that I felt that the position deserved because it was a retail position mm. and in some people's eyes that wasn't seen as anything that was seen as a high school college job um when I switched the corporate people were so excited and they were like oh my gosh like that's amazing like finally here's your big break like congrats <laughs> and I'm like okay but like which is funny because they might not have even known what you were doing. You could have been sweeping the floor of the office for oh, yeah. corporate America. Yep. And just because it was corporate America, mm-hmm. it had this prestige mm-hmm. where it wasn't, okay, well, what are you doing? Yeah. Does it light you up? Are you happy with what your workload is? Mm-hmm. Or what's your what's your trajectory that you might be on here? It's just, okay, what's the name of the company? Awesome. You must have succeeded. Yep. yep. And that's exactly how I was looked at because I was doing way more at my retail position and even as a substitute teacher than I was doing in this corporate job. And I was happy at first with the corporate job. You know, I finally had like set hours, set days, no weekends, no nights, no holidays. Oh, bless up. Like I got a paid holiday. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, 
So it was great at first, but the work was very monotonous. It was not challenging. It was not really anything for me. I need something where I'm learning every day, where it's something new, still routine. I like routine, but challenging. And I was not getting that at all. It wasn't challenging. It was frustrating. <sighs> and not because like I didn't know what I was doing. I knew what I was doing, but it was frustrating because I was like, I could do so much more than this. Yeah. And you saw your potential out the window and you're waiting Oh, yeah. To it. Within like the first month, I was like, okay, on to the next thing. Like, let's go. And knowing that I had to be there for another like 10 months before I was even allowed in the company to be promoted and move positions, I was like, oh, it's going to be a long <laughs> 11 months. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, like I said, it was really cool to like see the inner workings of, you know, corporate office and be on that opposite side of things. But I was not happy. A trend with me is usually within three months of a job, I'm like, okay, what's next? <laughs> I'm like, I'm bored. I'm like, let's go. Uh, so, yeah, I was not happy. Things kind of just, I don't know, it, it could just be my experience. Like, I kind of, I got screwed over. Um, and, you know, I was supposed to be promoted within a year. I mean, obviously, it's not promised. But I had worked on several special projects within the company. I had worked in different areas, you know, still with my same title, but doing much higher level stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, like, I'm at my year. Like, can I have my review and a promotion, please? Because I deserve <laughs> it. Like, which is still like a entitled perspective. But I was like, no, like, give me something else. Well, I, and even, I mean, you say entitled perspective, but I don't think, it doesn't sound like you were approaching it from an entitled standpoint. It was more of a, look, I've done all, here's everything that I've done. Mm -hmm. And you said, you asked for a review. It wasn't like you were just standing there with your palm out saying, hand me the promotion and a nice raise, please. Mm -hmm. You were looking at it more so from, hey, I was overqualified coming into this from the start. They told you when they hired you that this was kind of like a year-long stepping stone position. Yep. So from your perspective, it sounds like it was kind of mutually understood that this was the next step to be discussed was mm -hmm. moving on up and not just staying in it again for another yeah. year. And I had planned. I mean, I was unhappy, but I was like trying to hold out. I was like, you know, just get a different position. It'll be more of what I want to do within the company and I'll be busy <laughs> and like a good busy. I was like, I was getting married like five months from when I was supposed to, you know, move up in the company. So I was like, you know what? It's just going to be too much for me to like switch and find another job right now. I'll just stick it out after the wedding. And then I'll, you know, really hunker down and start finding a new job if they're not going to promote me. Because we were getting, and it wasn't just me. It was several other people on my team. We were all getting excuse after excuse mm -hmm. of, oh, well, there's no positions or, oh, we're reviewing this or, oh, we're doing that. Or, oh, we're on a hiring freeze because of the holidays. And then I wasn't even getting my review mm. to get my, my raise. <laughs> Which, again, like, I had done a lot of special projects for the company. Didn't seek, you know, extra, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Compensation. Compensation. <laughs> Thank you. And I'm like, all right, can I, can I, like, please have my review and my raise? Kept pushing it off, kept pushing it off. And I was like, oh, my God. I don't know if I can make it past April here. Like, this is ridiculous. 
And then I was on my Instagram. I just sound like I'm like 60 years old. I was on my Instagram. I was on Instagram (laughs) watching stories. And my favorite blogger is like, I'm looking for an assistant. (laughs) And I was like, hey, wait, (laughs) this could be an opportunity. That's when I reached out to you. And I was like, hello, hire me, please. (laughs) Well, now I would just like to say that I feel pretty proud right now because you just said that if it was like a three-month mark, Oh, yeah. You were looking to split, and we've been together for, like, almost a year now. So, I'm, I mean... You're literally, like, and truthfully, like, again, my mom can back this up. (laughs) Um, You're, like, the first job that I've had where I haven't had that, like, all right, I'm bored, like, or I'm not happy here, like, what's next? Because we keep it interesting around here. (laughs) There's always something new. And like I said, like, I, I like to be challenged. I like learning new things, and I find that with you. On a daily basis. I didn't ask her to say any of this. So <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think there might be some listeners who are kind of like, all right, blogger's assistant. What the heck does that even mean? So walk us through a little bit of what your day-to-day with Coming Up Roses is like and what what kind of things we do together. Um, it varies 100%. Uh, one day I could be on Pinterest all day and the next day I could be be trying to figure out how to edit a podcast <laughs> um, when we say on pinterest all day we're doing like actual strategy for pinterest yeah, not, not just, just interesting for fun not just pinterest <laughs> arts and crafts <laughs> i'm i'm with erica <laughs> twice a week and obviously those days are different than when i'm at home usually when i'm at home it's just little things here or there throughout the day if erica's like hey like can you do this for me real quick i will schedule out like twitter like archived posts and such. I hope with a lot of more of the back end things. Um, I mean, we've described it to people in the past as yeah. anything that is front facing or audience facing is mm. me. So I'm always the one interacting with my own audience and replying to people who follow me. So if people think they're talking to me, they're talking to me. Yes. But <laughs> if it's anything that's kind of more technical or helping to like resize photos in a blog mm-hmm. post or just any sort of like random behind the scenes administrative sort of task that doesn't necessarily need my hands and doesn't necessarily face my audience, then I pass it along. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of like Pinterest graphics. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, a lot of analytics sort of stuff. Yeah, I do a lot of analytics. Um, you know, any goals that Erica has for the month or the quarter or the year. Like I just try to help us. We. It's hard to describe. It's I mean, it's almost, I always like, feel like it's like looking at looking at it from a business perspective where you're looking at, okay, we have a plan and what actual tasks need to be executed mm-hmm. to get from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And it's not – I think a lot of people probably have the misconception that bloggers just like take pictures all day. Or oh, just, that is not or the reality whatsoever. Right. <laughs> so it's like, sure, there, are, there might be some people who – get lucky and literally can just take a couple of pictures and talk to a camera all day. Mm -hmm. But I would say by and large, that's totally not the case. Mm -hmm. So once, I mean, if you're growing and looking at it from a business perspective, especially once you've monetized your, your platform, I mean, it is, you do so many, so many full-time jobs within the, within the context of one person. And it just reaches a point where you need more than one person. (laughs) Yeah. And there, there's a lot of, different knowledge points that you know 
obviously Erica requires, but also myself as well. Like I've had to learn a lot of different things. You know, I've had to learn all about the different algorithms with the different social platforms and making sure that we're doing what we can to meet those algorithms and be seen. And as well as, you know, with the podcast launching, I did a lot of research on the back end for that on like, okay, what do we need? How to record? How do I edit? Like, how do we make it sound good? How do we get it to the platforms? <laughs> um, so it's just, it's a little bit of everything. I just come to you and I say, I have an idea. And I'm like, all right, <laughs> Google. <laughs> so how did your family react then to switching to this? Because this is kind of totally a non-conventional, non-traditional sort of job that definitely mm -hmm. wasn't in the job book when you're in college. So tell us a little bit about that transition too. Um, my mom was, I mean, my mom's always excited about anything I do. So <laughs> Moms are the best. shout out to my mom and my dad. Um, so my parents were just like, my parents have always just been kind of like, cool. Like if that's what you want to do, like go for it. Like you'll awesome. make it work. And so I've always had their support and they're just like, no offense to my mother, but I still don't think she completely understands what we do. Because <laughs> um, I'll, like, I'll be like, she'll be like, oh, what did you do at Erica's today? I'm like, oh, I did X, Y, Z. And she's like, what does that mean? Like, what, I don't, like how, what does that mean? <laughs> and so they're going to have to kind of explain it to her um, because it's not well-known knowledge. Not right. everybody knows what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to run a business like this. Um, so Paul, Paul was really supportive about it all because um, he always knew that I had an interest in everything that goes on behind the scenes of the blog. Um, because like I said earlier, like I had dabbled in it. So obviously I had hundreds of printouts of how to blog and SEO and <laughs> Pinterest and all of that. So I always had an interest in it. I just loved trying to learn the logistics behind it and how it worked because it's like it's like a big puzzle. And you just got to get all the pieces yep. together. Um, so Paul was super supportive. He was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, he was a little hesitant because of my track record with jobs and not being happy. But he was just like, you do it. Like, go, babe. <laughs> we knew that we would probably hit not negative responses, but I guess just like misunderstandings with some other family members because – Obviously, it's not a traditional position. It's not something that really has, you know, a textbook job description that goes along with it. And obviously, you know, some people try out this type of business and they, they don't succeed. Mm -hmm. So they're like, okay, well, is it lucrative? Like, are you, how long are you going to have a job for it? Like, how long is this going to last? Is this going to be like a one month thing and then everything's going to go under? Um, no offense. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get it all the time. Um, so obviously there was a lot of questions and there was just a lot of like, oh, like, what's your new job? And I'd be like, oh, I'm an assistant for a blogger. And they'd be like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> awesome. Like, what do you do? <laughs> I'd be like, oh, a little bit of everything. Like, people were a little confuddled when I would, you know, say what my new job was. And there was a lot of questions. Like, they'd be like, well, I don't understand. Like, she gets paid by brands and then you get paid <laughs> i'd be like yeah correct like it's the it's new marketing tactic ta tactics tactics <laughs> techniques i tried to combine tactics and techniques 
So it's just like for some people who are used to that traditional like commercial marketing, they don't understand that like, yes, this is successful. Yes, it is lucrative. Yes, it works. And yes, it continues to work. Like this is the future. So yeah, we, we had to keep some things, you know, on the down low to keep the peace amongst family, which was hard because I, I don't, I don't like lying. And technically I wasn't lying. Um, but it was for Paul's sake. So I was, I was happy to do that for my, at the time, future husband. <laughs> right. That was right before your wedding yes, too. So that's yes. why you so were being we were just secretive. so stressed out and we are like, yeah, we, we, let's just make things easy on ourselves. Yeah, wedding conversation. Yeah. I mean, it definitely meets some, you know, questionable faces when, it, when I say what I do. Um, but so do I. I so yeah. I understand. <laughs> um, but once I kind of explain like the gist of you know, what Erica does and how she's succeeded and how well she's done so far. People are like, oh, that's really cool. Like, you must really love it. I'm like, yeah, I do. Like, it's really awesome. Like, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so what advice would you give to someone wanting to pursue something that's a bit more off the beaten path? If you know that, okay, what I'm in, whether it's my college program or whether it's my actual job and in nine to five world already, if you just have that urge where you're like, mm, not for me, or if you see something that you think you might want to pursue, but you're afraid of maybe the judgment that you might get or whatever, what would you tell them? One of my favorite YouTubers says this, and she's like, if you act confident, no one will question you. Mm. Which I mean, yeah, that's that's totally true, but you you still will get questions. If you want to pursue something that maybe isn't, you know, necessarily quote unquote traditional or will raise some questions or is even risky, you know, just make sure you know the reality of it before you go into it. You want to make sure I'm a planner. Mm -hmm. And when I know that I'm going into something, I'm like, I need to plan every exit route and (laughs) know everything about it. You don't necessarily need to be that obsessive to the level that I am. (laughs) Um, But it's good to know, you know, okay, what what if this doesn't work? Mm-hmm. What will I do then? And just kind of have that plan. Just know what you're getting yourself into. And that's great advice too, even for people in more traditional paths. Yes. Because like you said, I mean, you were going into something. If you go into it for the idea of it and not the reality of it, that's where mm-hmm. you risk unhappiness or not mm-hmm. being fulfilled because, I mean, reality hits hard sometimes. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so if you're not truly aware of the nitty-gritty or not mm-hmm. willing to, I guess, let your own perspective and your own path shift mm-hmm. and adapt as reality sets in, I mean, you yeah. have to do that in order to yeah. truly get on the path that's meant for you that is fulfilling and mm-hmm. really fuels you. And just make sure whatever you're doing – Make sure you're doing it for yourself. Mm. I thought I was doing that when I was pursuing teaching because I I do have a passion for teaching. I love teaching. I love educating. I love that setting. But after several months of therapy, (laughs) I realized that I wasn't doing it for myself. You know, I was doing it to fulfill what I thought needed to be done in order to succeed. And that definitely was not the case for me. If you know that you don't have a passion for something or you're not going to be happy somewhere, don't do it. Obviously, in a lot of things that you may pursue in life, you know, you're going to have to do things that you're not going to be happy right. with, that you're not going to enjoy. Not but everything if it's, is coming up roses all the time. Yes. But, um, but if it's if it's 
doing it to get you to that bigger picture of where you want to be, then it's worth it. You know, like you're not just going to wake up one day and run a successful blog or a YouTube channel or be a CEO of something. You have to do things that you don't want to do to get there. Mm -hmm. You have to do things that maybe don't fulfill you or, you know, don't make you as happy. But if that end point is what will make you happy and feel successful where you can, I don't know, thrive, (laughs) (laughs) Um, then, you know, those things are okay. But if you're doing something where, you know, at the end of the day, I I always say this because, you know, my my friend, she's younger and she's gone through that, you know, well, I want to do X, Y, Z. And I'm like, okay, well, you have to do things that you're not going to like to get there. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, like, you could love your, like, I love my job. I love what I do. I love working with Erica. No, I'm not being paid to say this. <laughs> like, it's the truth. But obviously, there are things that I do in my job role that are not my favorite, that I don't enjoy doing. But overall, I am happy. Mm-hmm. And I told her, I was like, you know, yeah, you want to be on Instagram and be famous and make money, but it takes work. Right. And you need to realize that, you know, it takes work because otherwise you're going to fail. You're not going to get there. Yeah. And I, I love that point that, and it's so true. The fact that you really have to be able to take that step back and say, okay, these things that I don't like, are these things that can change in the future? Mm-hmm. Or are these things that are just part of it, part of the nature of the job? And if so, if they are just a part of the job, is that something I'm willing to endure mm-hmm. to get to that next destination because I mean I'm the same way there's parts of my job that I totally dislike doing Mm -hmm. but have to happen to get from point a to point b exactly so any job is going to have something where you're like okay I would rather not do this Mm -hmm. (laughs) but if it's if it's something that is just the nature of it and is essential basically Mm -hmm. and a part of the job that you can't exactly get rid of then then it's deciding, okay, is that worth it to me? And is mm-hmm. that something that I'm willing and able to to do whenever I have to do it because that end result is worth it? Yeah. The arts is kind of something that I can really relate to. And I think that it comes across, you know, if you want to be a photographer, you're not just overnight going to be making six figures as mm-hmm. a photographer. You have to take those gigs that you don't necessarily want to do mm. to gain that experience and network. Because you never know how meeting with client A to do an outdoor engagement photo shoot will lead you to doing that high fashion shoot that you want to do down the line. And in most positions, you know, especially, again, relatable in blogging, you may not like to do SEO, but when you're first starting out, you have to learn how to do it. You have to figure it out and do it yourself. But guess what? Down the line, you can hire someone to do it for you. Exactly. And that's just another goal that you can write down to meet at some point. Right. It's a part of the, it's a part of the job. It's not the job itself. Like with your example with photography, it's like taking a gig or one project here or there that you don't necessarily completely love Mm -hmm. is different than picking up a camera and being like, ugh, I hate this. Like if you, if it's the job itself where you're like, ugh, I don't want to do it. I'm not inspired. I'm just, I'm Mm -hmm. not into it, not feeling it then that's a problem. But if it's one thing here or there that might not necessarily be forever, might be changeable down the line, I mean, that's you just look at that with a different lens. Oh, yeah. And it just all goes back to, because 
obviously everyone's goal at the end of the day, you know, you want to make money. You want to have money. Like being rich is like, oh my gosh, like I can do whatever I want. But that does not equate happiness. Obviously I was going to make more money teaching than I was doing what I've been doing in the past. And I was like, well, I will have a stable paycheck. I will have X amount of money. I'll be able to afford XYZ. I'll be able to buy myself clothes. Like it'll be great. But I wasn't happy. Even though I was getting that nice cushy paycheck at the end of the day, I, wa I wasn't happy. And you could have someone who's the CEO of a company and makes several million dollars a year, but are they actually happy doing mm. what they're doing? Or do you have the person who goes from craft fair to craft fair selling their knitted goods? They don't have a ton of money. They get by, but they're happy mm -hmm. with their life. And it's finding that delicate balance between being able to practically sustain yourself and make what you need to support your family mm -hmm. and support yourself and whatever and doing something that you love. And yeah. that balance is, I mean, that's what it's all about. Oh, yeah. So I love this. So I want to end, I'll do this with every single guest that we have on Thrive, but I really want to know what does the word thrive mean to you and how do you strive to thrive in your own everyday life? There's definitely different avenues that you can thrive in. <laughs> um, but overall, thrive to me, to me means being happy. Um, not necessarily, I don't have to, like, like we were just talking about, I don't have to be happy in all aspects of my life. I'm not happy doing dishes, but somebody's got to do them. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, I can go to bed and I'm not super stressed out. I'm not like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do about this, this, or this? Like, I can go to bed peacefully and know that things are okay and I'm happy doing what I'm doing and it's fulfilling. Like, I'm not dragging my feet. From day to day like I'm happy and that to me like I feel obviously I feel like I could level up a little bit on the thrive scale but I do feel like I am thriving right now where I am in my life that's awesome mm -hmm. well thanks for coming on thank you <laughs> I'll see you at work okay <laughs> Wait, before you go, if you like what you just listened to, drop us five stars on iTunes. Make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. And if you're on Instagram, snap a screenshot and share to your story with what episode you're tuning into and tag me at Erica Legenza with what part resonated with you the most. That way I can see what's helping you and your friends can pick up a helpful tidbit too. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.